Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Good morning. Um, Has anyone here ever caught an episode of Just One Thing? It's like a 14-minute radio program, podcast, and it's basically this doctor who's giving just one change that you could possibly implement in your life that would have a measurable positive impact on your health. This week, he was talking about how reheating pasta could reduce your cholesterol levels. Some of the ideas he presents are fascinating. So while cholesterol can clog up our arteries, our hearts often carry things that if we don't surrender them, act as a blocker to us having a clearer understanding of who the Lord is and a very real sense of his love for us. It could be unforgiveness or the need for inner healing. Or it could be things like how we view our finances and resources, or how we make decisions in life. And it can also be things like a cycle of behaviour or a habit that drags our attention and devotion away from Jesus. And as I've been praying about what to say this morning, there have been two words that have been laid on my heart again and again, and they are intimacy and surrender. So as we unpack today's Bible passage, I'd love for you to ask the Lord if there's just one thing that he's inviting you to surrender to him that would open up a deeper level of intimacy in your relationship with him. If you're new here, you've joined us in the middle of a sermon series going through the Old Testament book of Hosea. For those of you who've missed the previous talks, we've been learning about how the Lord instructed Hosea to marry and remain faithful to a promiscuous woman who would choose to betray him with other men in their marriage. The Lord then uses his life as a very moving metaphor for the relationship between him and Israel. If you'd like to learn more about the scene that this book is set in and the journey that we've been on so far, why not um, go to our podcasts and catch up on birminghamvineyard.com under the Listen tab. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that we can just come together freely and openly to look at your word and to learn from one another. And I just pray, would your holy presence come and be with us and stir up our hearts and minds. Amen. So I'm just going to invite Oliver up, who's very kindly agreed to read Hosea chapter 5, verse 15 to 7, 1 for us this morning. Thanks, Oliver. When Eleanor asked me to read, I thought three chapters, and then I realized it's only the Last verse of chapter 5 and only the first line of chapter 7. So, I will return to my place, again to my place, until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And in their distress, earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press to know the Lord. 
He's, he's going out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together and they murder on the way to Shechem. They commit uh, villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed. When I restore the fortunes, when I heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed. Thank you, Oliver. That's great. So there is a lot there that we could unpack and get inspired by. Um, But for now, we're going to look at what I'm calling the three Israels or three possible attitudes of the heart towards the Lord that I've seen represented in this passage. And we're going to ask him to reveal to us individually which of these, if any, most describes our own heart posture towards him in our lives at this present time. And then we're going to be ultimately looking at who the Lord reveals himself to be during this passage. And then we'll take some time to respond to him by asking him if he's, how he's inviting us into deeper relationship with him this morning. So we know in the book of Hosea, Israel is represented by or likened to a wayward wife who scorns and rejects the love of her husband. Chapter 6 gives us further clear insight as to how this looks in practice. And so for the sake of simplicity, rather than because it's how it's said in the text, I'm going to personify these heart attitudes that I see represented as three brothers. The first brother, a life devoted to doing evil. Despite this prophecy being written during a time when the nation of Israel is divided into two kingdoms, Judah and Ephraim, Hosea makes it clear that he's addressing all of them as one nation, the people of God. Therefore, the patterns of behaviour and the attitudes of the heart that we see represented here apply to the whole nation. In verses 7 to 10, we see quite a skin-crawling depiction of lives being lived in what the Bible describes as sin. My first brother of Israel has rejected God's ways and devotes himself to evil practices. He violates the covenant between Israel and the Lord. And almost pathologically so, since the dawn of human history. He is faithless, described as a city of evildoers. He spends his life in the defiling worship of idols and gods of the surrounding culture. What this passage describes as prostitution. 
There's no doubt that this is visceral language. It claws at something deep within us. It's uncomfortable to listen to. And it can even be a bit offensive to our modern ears when we long to be tolerant and accepting and loving towards other people, no matter what their beliefs and practices are. And I don't believe that the invitation here is to change our attitude towards our neighbours, colleagues, friends who don't yet know or follow Jesus. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5 verse 12, Paul asks, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Hosea is directly addressing it, the leaders of Israel, the Lord's people. But it is clear that the Lord feels utterly bereft when his people offer themselves up to anything that is not him. The invitation instead is to ask ourselves, where am I devoting myself to the gods of the surrounding culture, to sex, money, greed, power, or even the god of the self? The list goes on. The first brother seems utterly blind to his own behaviour and the heart posture driving these sinful behaviours. The only hint of understanding shown hasn't actually happened yet. It's in the call to repentance at the start of chapter 6 when the Lord says that Israel will finally cry out to him and seek to return to the Lord. The tragedy in this passage is that this brother is so utterly lost, he simply isn't ready to turn back to Jesus or to God. Instead, as we read in the first three verses of chapter 6, he is living in anguish, struck down or torn because of how deeply entangled he is in sin. So what other attitudes or lifestyles do we see represented here? The second brother we find in the text is certainly as tragic as the first. He pays lip service to the Lord, serves him in his temple, makes a pilgrimage to the city of Shechem where others go to, to serve and observe their religious festivals. But he isn't genuinely seeking after the Lord. The second brother has closed his heart off from God, but he wishes to appease the Lord's anger and to appear godly to others. So he brings sacrifices and burnt offerings because he believes in doing so he will meet the requirements of the law. But all the while, he does not turn to the Lord in his heart and mind, and so he never actually knows the Lord from whom the law came. Now, in reality, the text here isn't distinguishing these two characters from one another. It's possible that some of the people identify with one or more a bit more, but actually many would be one and the same, lost in lives of sin, worshipping other gods while ticking what they felt was the necessary box of giving offerings and sacrifices at the Lord's altar every now and then as well, carrying out religious acts without ever offering up their hearts. Is there anything in that that you can relate to? Both of these brothers are described as having a love like the morning cloud, like a dew that goes away early. 
In other words, any thoughts they have of the Lord are brief and transitory and don't, in the end, make much of an impact on their daily lives or the state of their hearts. Both are being urged to repent, to turn their hearts back to the Lord, to truly know and press on to know him. The God we find, an eternally devoted father. Let's come back to these three brothers in a moment and turn our attention to the most important person in this passage, God himself. While the people of Israel have a love like an early morning mist that is gone before even noticed really, the prophecy uses the image of the sun majestically emerging day after day to describe the certainty of the Lord's presence and the language of nourishing rains that relays how healing and reviving his presence is. In this passage, the Lord shows himself to be ever-present, ever-waiting for Israel's affection, ever-available to them when they finally turn back to him. Let's imagine for a moment that the people of Israel are like the brothers described in the parable of the prodigal son, which could be uh, found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. The first brother squanders his life in sin. The other remains at home and spends his time working on his father's estate. In our passage from Hosea, we see that the Lord shows himself to be the eternally affectionate father waiting with longing in his heart for the return of his son. In fact, we see the father heart of God shining through much more overtly later on in chapter 11 of Hosea, where it says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts up a little child to the cheek and I bent down to feed them. Here we're given a window into the depth of affection that Father God has for us and for Israel. We can hear the longing in his heart for a true and deep connection with his people. And I feel utterly undone by the closeness painted in these words. Whether it's the husband and wife image portrayed through Hosea's life or this parent and child picture given here, God is very clearly using the language of some of the most intimate relationships that we can experience while we're on earth to convey to us how high and long and wide and deep is his love for me and for you. In Hosea 6, verses 1 to 3, it says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. In these verses, we see a nation on its knees, suffering in their sin, but finally returning to the Lord. 
If we think of the story of the prodigal son, the boy who scorns his father is allowed to wander right off the beaten track, to make terrible choices, and to finally reach a point close to starvation before he returns. Similarly, Israel in this picture is stricken and wounded because of their sin. Their choices have led to devastation in their lives. But we see a God who longs to bind up those wounds and heal their hearts, and who promises to do so as they return to him. More than that, though, we may see a whisper of the salvation to one day come through Jesus. It's clear that Hosea is primarily addressing the people of Israel and talking about the suffering that they've caused by wandering off from God. But I can't help but be reminded that it was ultimately Jesus who was raised up on the third day after he suffered under the weight of our sin. Unlike his people, he had not walked away from God. Instead, his relentless divine love drove him to rescue and open up a way for true and intimate relationship with us. This is the God that we see in this passage, the one who did not abandon us to the squalor of our sin, who chooses to find and redeem us as surely as the sun will rise. The third brother, a child of God. So why did I say that a third brother could be seen in this passage? Well, for me, this is the child who truly knows he belongs to the Lord. Rather than being the story that Israel is telling through their lives at the point in time that this is written, the third brother is the Israel or people of God of the future that the Lord longs for them to become. It is the son who, as we see in Luke 15, 17, suddenly comes to his senses and sees the state that his life is in without his father. In the parable of the prodigal son, the, boy, the man is merely motivated to return because of human hunger, physical hunger. But what if we returned to our heavenly father because our hearts and minds and souls were hungry for him alone. The third son is the Judah to whom the Lord promises a harvest and restoration in Hosea 6.11. He is the Israel that the Lord promises to heal in 7 verse 1. The third brother says in Hosea 6.3, Let us know and press on to know the Lord. And what a wonderful way to live that that would be. I long for my life to be spent pressing on to know the Lord. The, brother that is, the third brother is he who understands what Hosea writes in verse 6, when he says, For I desire mercy more than sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. The son who longs for intimacy with his father and so offers up his heart rather than simply trying to placate him with material things. Verse 6 is one of the more well-known verses from the book of Hosea. And this is probably largely because Jesus quotes it twice in, in Matthew. And on both occasions, he is addressing the Pharisees when their intense passion for the law and all the rules kind of makes them overlook the needs and the hearts of the human beings in front of them. 
I don't believe that either Hosea or Matthew is somewhere where God is telling us that it's okay not to give of our time and resources sacrificially, but rather that he's not satisfied with us dumping an offering on the altar to meet the requirements of the law if we aren't going to open up our hearts to him and live out of a life of worship of him along the way. He longs for us to know and press on to know him. And it's that last phrase from verse 3 that keeps coming back to me. It begs the question, what does it look like to know and press on to know the Lord? So many languages have got two verbs or more than one verb for the verb to know. For example, French uses savoir for head knowledge, but it uses connaître for heart knowledge. So I would say, je sais, or I know who the prime minister is. But I would say, je te connais, or I know you, my friend. And this invitation here is for us to press on from head knowledge of God into a true relational knowledge of who he is. This is where surrender comes in. How do we move on from being stuck in a cycle of sin or of playing through the motions of a Christian life without engaging our hearts into a place of true intimacy with him? In this passage, this started with repentance, with the people turning their hearts and minds to God. For me personally, when I was younger, it was a desperate need for inner healing that was blocking my heart off from the Lord. I recently heard someone describe forgiveness as a supernatural grace. And I absolutely love that. It is only by the grace of God that we can be freed from the internal prison of unforgiveness towards another person who's wronged us. But this still involves us surrendering to his grace. Either in one miraculous moment of inner healing, which is what I experienced when I was a teenager, or little by little over time, which I've since had to learn many times, When Jesus healed my heart from unforgiveness, he totally transformed my life. And I have been living in utter gratitude ever since. When we surrender our deepest areas of pain, shame or pride to him, when we leave these things at the foot of the cross, he can nourish our hearts like the spring rains nourish the earth. We can enter an intimacy with him that is impossible to imagine. And I really feel like the Lord wants to reveal to us any areas of our lives or stuff going on in our hearts that is blocking this and to invite us to surrender these to him. So on the screen, there's just a handful of things that came to mind as potential obstructions to intimacy with the Lord. It's really not an exhaustive list. Um, It's things like unforgiveness, cycles of sin, the need for inner healing or a kind of compulsion to do things for the Lord rather than be with the Lord. It could be one of those things. It could be something else. And it's not there to cause anyone a sense of heaviness. Instead, the invitation is there for us to spend a few moments in prayer asking God, is there just one thing 
that I need to surrender to you that would be acting as a hindrance to that intimacy with you. There is some paper and pens dotted around the room. Maybe you want to take notes. Maybe you just want to sit in silence with your eyes closed and invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart. I'm just going to ask the band to actually play some music so to give you some moments to do that. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room, into our hearts. We know you're here already. But God, I just pray, would you just shine a light as only you can do on what's going on on the inside? Maybe we know already, or maybe it's a surprise to us. But show us, God. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.